Well, hey everyone, and happy new year. I am so excited to be in online worship with you today, wherever you are in this new year. I just wanna talk a minute this morning about New Year's resolutions, because as the new year start, everyone seems to have a new one. Things like losing weight or getting into shape, saving money to buy a house or spend more time with family, all of these things are great New Year's resolutions that a lot of us have. Now, I have only had two New Year's resolutions that I can really remember in my life. And those two were in 2015, my, my uh, New Year's resolution was to run a marathon, the whole 26.2 miles. I don't know what I was thinking, but I had never really ran anything before. I think I had run like a 5K once at that point, but for some reason I wanted to run a whole marathon. And my other New Year's resolution that I can remember was in 2018, and my uh, New Year's resolution was to ride a subway. Yes, my New Year's resolution was to ride a subway because I see them in movies and on TV all the time, but I've never ridden one, and for some reason I just think they look so cool, but in reality I know that they're like kind of dark and smelly and like sometimes there's interesting people on them and I'm sure they're not as great as they are in my head but that was my New Year's resolution and I can tell you that I only made one of those resolutions can you guess which one it was I ran a marathon in 2015 I ran the Quad City Marathon um, in September when I was I think a junior in college and it was a great experience I spent most of that year training and preparing for it and going on long 10, 15, 20 mile runs. It was a lot of work that I put into it, but it was awesome because I had this goal in mind that I couldn't be stopped from. I wanted to run this marathon so bad and just to prove it to myself that I could. So I ran a marathon. And I think the reason why we like to have New Year's resolutions is because we like to have some sort of sense of control over our lives for the coming year. We have a goal in mind that we want to focus on and put all of our energy into. We want to see where our year is going and just predict what we can do. And goals are great. They allow us to do things like finish school or save up for a house or to learn a new skill. When we see something that we want to attain and we have a goal for it, we're more likely to go after it. And going after our goals is a good thing until it's different from what God wants for us and until it's different until God's will for us, unless God has another plan. And in our scripture today, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's one of those very few times in scripture where Jesus's will seems to be different than God the Father's. Listen here in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So we find Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane shortly before he is to be crucified. 
and he knows what's ahead of him. Because he is a part of God, he knows the plan, and he has always known it. It's always God's plan that Jesus would come to save the world through his death and resurrection. And now Jesus is looking at this event straight on, his crucifixion, and he can feel the weight of it. We see Jesus' human side coming through in this scene. Jesus was both fully divine and fully human, which means that he had the divinity of God, but also all of the attributes of a human. Jesus had a physical human body, which came with human thoughts, emotions, feelings, and experiences. And Jesus lets us see into those feelings here in a really intimate way. Verses 37 and 38 say, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, when you normally picture Jesus, what do you think of? What comes to mind? You probably picture him preaching or healing or doing some other miracle. And we often picture him as a hero, someone who always has it all together and is never scared because that's who he is. He is our Savior. And we often forget um, about the real humanity of Jesus. But this moment in the garden paints a new picture for us, one where we see Jesus as more human, where he's feeling sorrowful and troubled. We can see him being scared and nervous, and he doesn't want to go through with this gruesome death. He probably is shaking and sweating and scared out of his mind. He has emotion and thoughts and feelings, just like us. And any of us would be scared if we knew our death was looming. And we can see that when Jesus starts feeling this way, he turns to God in prayer, and he says, Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus does two things here. First, he makes a request. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. So the word cup is translated um, here as a literal word, word cup. But in biblical times, it was also treated as a metaphor. It means one's lot or experience, whether joyous or adverse, divine appointments, whether favorable or unfavorable, are likened to a cup which God presents one to drink, so of prosperity and of adversity. So God presents Jesus with this cup to drink, which was one of adversity. And Jesus says, if it's possible, Father, take it away from me. Jesus didn't want it. Remember, Jesus is scared here. He was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And of course he didn't want to go through what the death laid out before him. I don't think anyone would. So he does what any of us would do, and he asks God for it to be taken away from him. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. That is the first thing he does. And the second thing that he does is he prays and he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Jesus is telling God the Father here that he doesn't want this, he doesn't want his own will to be done, but he wants the Father's will to be done. He is submitting to what the Father's will is. But what exactly does will mean? And what does it mean for something to be God's will? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary in the back of my Bible. Did you know they had these things? Who knew? <laughs> and in my Bible, it defined will as desire, seeking God's will, means looking for what God wants to be done. And it is exactly that. God's will is his desire for us. It's what he wants us to do. And the Bible talks a lot about God's will. And I looked up the Greek word that Jesus used in this particular verse here, which is thelo. And it translates as to will, to have in mind, intend, to be resolved or determined, to purpose, to, to desire, to wish. So what God wills for us is what he wants for us. What he desires for us, what his purpose or wish is for us. And we know that because God is our Father who loves us unconditionally and eternally, we know that whatever he wills for us will be good for us. And there are two different ways we see God's will laid out in Scripture. There is a common will for all of us and an individual one. God's common will for us all is to love God and love each other, to refrain from sin, to read scripture and pray, to take a Sabbath, things like that. Things that we are all supposed to do, that God wants us to do. Things that God lays out in scripture are what we are supposed to do. But God also has specific things that he wills for us that are specific to our lives that the Holy Spirit may come and tell us. For example, when I got my call to ministry, I had the Holy Spirit come to me and tell me that I was supposed to be a pastor. So when I was 17, I went on a youth retreat in the conference. Um, it was called YAR, um, Youth Annual Retreat, where we all got together um, down in Carlinville, Illinois at a camp, and we just worshiped and learned about God and got to spend time with some other youth in our conference. And on Saturday night at worship, Pastor Bev was preaching, and it was a great sermon. And when she was done, she gave an altar call. And she said, if you um, feel like you want to give your life to Christ, come over here. And if you feel like you're being called to ministry, come over here. And I had no idea what being called to ministry was. Like, I had no idea. I thought the pastors just woke up in the morning and decided to be a pastor. I didn't know what a call to ministry was. But when she said, if you feel like you're being called to ministry, come over here, I heard God say in my head, go. And I did not want to go up there. <laughs> I think this might have been the first time that I had ever, had ever really heard God talking to me. And I didn't really hear him. It was just what I explained as, um, a thought in my head that I didn't put there. Like it was my inner thought process, my inner voice, I guess you would say, but I didn't put it there. I wouldn't have said go when someone said, if you want to be called to ministry, because I didn't want that. So anyway, I heard God say in my head, go. And I said, uh, uh, I am never going to be a pastor. That sounds awful and miserable and terrible. 
you're crazy. I'm not going up there. I don't want to be a pastor. And he just kept saying, go, go up there. Megan, I need you to go up there. Please go up there, go. And eventually, after arguing with God for a few minutes, I finally went up to Pastor Bev and I said, I think I'm being called to ministry. And she cried and hugged me and we both cried and she prayed over me and it was just an amazing experience. The Holy Spirit had come to me that night and told me what God's will for my life was. And just like God's will for me is to be a pastor, God also has a will for you. We've had people here in our church family have God tell them through the Holy Spirit that they were supposed to do things like join the prayer team or to join a certain grow group or to do a multitude of other things, things that might have seemed out of their comfort zone or kind of crazy to them. But if God has a specific will for your life, he will come through and tell you it by the power of the Holy Spirit and you don't have to doubt it. You never have to doubt God when he is trying to tell you to do something. Sometimes it's just a little voice in the back of your mind telling you to do something that you weren't planning on doing. Sometimes it comes as if God's yelling at you and you can't get away from it. You know when God is telling you to do something or not. And you always have the choice whether to follow God's will or not. And I know that sometimes it feels like God's will for you or your life might not be very good. Like he isn't giving you what you wanted or expected because he's asking you to do something totally opposite of what you want. But God's will for you goes beyond the present moment because God's will and his plan is bigger than you can ever see. Sometimes he wants you to step out in faith and to do something that you aren't sure of or makes you nervous, but you're only nervous because you can't see the bigger plan, the bigger picture, but he can. And in the end, the scary thing that he was asking you to do turned out to be something that was really good for you. God never will something that isn't going to ultimately be good for you. Otherwise, it wouldn't be from God. So back to Jesus in the garden. Jesus has the ability to submit to God's will, even when it's going to cause him some immense pain and death. He says, not my will, but yours. It is this miraculous intimacy between him and the Father that allows him to fully submit to God's will. And what creates that full submission and obedience to the Father is the covenant that is between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This covenant between the Father, Son, and the Spirit is made of full equality, holy submission, and joyful intimacy. The three persons in this trinity are indivisible from each other, and their covenant is what binds them. If there was no covenant put between him, them, uh, we wouldn't have God, because you cannot have one person of the trinity without the other two. There has to be that covenant binding them together. And the amazing thing about this covenant is that we are also invited into it. When we accept Christ as our Savior, our invitation into that covenant with God begins. And the covenant that we have with God is simple. I want to read to you John 3, 16 through 18. You've probably heard it before, but I want you 
to picture it as a covenant between you and God, something that God is promising someone who believes in him. So here it is, John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God's covenant with us is that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. And covenantal relationship is sacred. It is held with the highest honor and the people in that covenant will do anything to protect it from damage. People in a covenant, like the covenant of marriage, submit their whole lives to keeping this covenant. They change how they live, how they think, what they do, because they know that life within the covenant is better than any life outside of it. And in our covenantal relationship with God, we have to do that same thing. We must live into that covenantal relationship that we have with God because we know that any life outside of it is worthless. We have to fully live into the covenant we have with God. We must fully submit to his will for us because it's better than anything we could ever create for ourselves. Even when his will seems like it isn't the best, we have to believe and trust God that he would never break his covenant with us and that he who sees the bigger picture will only lead us on the path that leads to him. So as we come to this new year and we start thinking about our new year's resolutions, I invite you to make renewing your covenant with God a priority. Make this your resolution. There are a million things we could make for a new year's resolution this year, but I promise you that without a doubt, this is the one that is going to be most impactful on your life. Living into your covenant with God will change your world for the better. So how do we live into this covenant that we have with God? So how do we live into this covenant that we have with God? The first thing we have to do is we have to trust God. And how do we trust God? The first thing that I always do when I need um, a way to trust God is I look up evidence in ways that he hasn't failed me or people in scripture in the past. So the first thing I look to is evidence and I look to scripture. There are so many stories in the Bible where God has taken care of people when they didn't think that God was ever going to come through for them. Like God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt he parted the Red Sea for them to escape when the enemy was coming after them. And God saved Daniel from being eaten alive when he was in the lion's den. He took care of Paul when he was in prison. God has done so many things, so many big things. All of these things he had planned out and promised these people beforehand that he was going to take care of them. And by faith, he did it. He was faithful to them and took care of them, and they could trust God. So when you need evidence to trust God, look towards scripture or events in your own life where God has been faithful to you and count on those as trustworthy that you can trust him in the present moment now. 
And the other thing that I do when I need to remind myself that I can trust God, um, it's going to seem kind of silly, but I imagine that um, God has a resume, and so do I, and I put them next to each other. And on God's resume, it says stuff like, creator of the world, knows all things, is everywhere all the time, has always existed, all these big, huge things, right? Because he's God. So I say, ooh, I can trust that, or I can trust myself, and I think about my mental resume, and it says, has a master's degree, is only 26 years old, has only been a pastor for six months, has only, just like, my resume will never compare to his. So am I going to trust myself, or am I going to trust the creator of the universe? I am going to trust God, because when I look at my resume, I'm the last person I would trust compared to God. So when God is asking you to do something big, do it. Put all of your trust in him because it is a beautiful part of covenantal relationship is placing a complete trust in God. You can trust him with your life. and You can trust him in this covenant that he has with you. And the second thing that we have to do in this covenantal relationship is we have to submit and surrender to God, which is probably the hardest thing that we do. One of the hardest things that um, we have a problem with. So we have to remember that life isn't about you. This covenant isn't about you. We are called to surrender our lives to Christ because they are his. He came to save us. He saved us from our sins. And so we submit our life to him, to worshiping him, to showing others about him and doing exactly what he asks us to do. We have to be able and be willing to do whatever God wants. So for my life, I had a plan before I was called to ministry. I think I was going to be um, an accountant or something. I have no idea. It was so long ago. But I had this big plan for my life, and then it kind of got all wiped away when God said, you're going into ministry. And it was so scary for me to trust him with that. For the longest time, I didn't even tell people what had happened because I wasn't fully committed to going into ministry. It was this new thing that I was terrified about, and I still didn't even want it at that point in time. But I had to surrender that to God and eventually just say, you know what, I'm going for it. If this is what you want from me, here I am, send me, I'll go. And I had to submit it to him and submit my whole life plan to God. Um, I had a different path, but God had a better one for me. And I'm so glad I surrendered that to him. I love being a pastor here at Crossroads. It is the joy of my life. So glad I did that. So maybe God has a different plan in store for you. Maybe you have this New Year's resolution that you want to accomplish, or maybe God has one for you that you didn't even think of, or maybe you've been hearing that voice in the back of your head telling you to do it, but you just kind of keep ignoring it. I want to encourage you to go after what God's will is for you. Listen to him, submit your life to him, and go after it. Go after whatever he asks of you because it is going to be so good and so much better than anything you could ever create on your own. So the third thing that we have to do in this covenantal relationship is find joy and peace in this covenant. And honestly, when you've done the first two things, this is the easiest one. 
Because when you trust God and submit to his plan, you don't have any burden of worrying about your own plan. You just get to submit to him and trust him that he is going to bless you and bless your life, and that he's going to take care of you. Find joy and peace in this covenant with God because it is a beautiful thing. You are assured by your faith that this covenant will be yours. So I have one more thing that I want to show you, kind of a resource for you to be able to fully submit your life to Christ and renew this covenant that you have with God. So it is, um, you may have heard of it before, I'm not sure. It's the Wesleyan Prayer. So this is a prayer that John Wesley wrote in the 1700s and he used at his covenant renewal services. This prayer is all about surrendering our lives to God and being willing and able to be used for whatever he wants for us. So you can use this prayer in your relationship with God to remind yourself who you are promising to be in your covenant with God. And reading this prayer out loud regularly will help you to become more aligned with God's will for you. I say this prayer every day um, before I do my scripture reading and prayer, and it truly has changed the way that I look at my life and the way I do things once you read it out loud day by day, it will change you from the inside out and um, allow you to be more submissive with God in your covenant with him. So I'm going to read that to you now. This is the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee exalted for thee or brought low for thee let me be full let me be empty let me have all things let me have nothing i freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal and now o glorious and blessed god father son and holy spirit thou art mine and i am thine so be it in the covenant which i have made on earth let it be ratified in heaven when we read this prayer, we remember that we are not our own, but we are God's. We are saying, give me everything or give me nothing. Because as long as you have God, you have everything. So trust him with your whole lives, submit your lives to him, and follow him wherever he leads you. An abundant life in the covenant with your creator is waiting for you. Now, as I close in prayer, I'm going to pray first for all of you all watching today and then close with the Wesleyan prayer. The words will be on your screen and I want to invite you to pray that prayer out loud with me. There's something special about praying it out loud. So let's do that now. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for each and every person that you have led to watch this today. God, I ask that you would bless their lives and bless the covenant that you have with them. Would you illuminate it in their lives and let them seek you out, Lord. Let them be able to trust you and surrender their whole lives to you, God. Let them know that you're their perfect child, that you love them, that you long and desire to be in covenant with them, and that one day, you will redeem them into eternal life.
God be with everyone here today. God, as we pray this prayer that unites us with you, that brings us back to our covenant with you, Lord. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. In the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. I hope you find this prayer meaningful and that it blesses your life. We also have these bookmarks with the Wesleyan prayer printed on them. And if you want one, you can stop by the church anytime to grab one. We would love to give one for you and a friend. So stop by and grab one whenever you want. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.